0: As we begin our time of study together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today thanking you for the blessings of this service, the ways that we have built one another up and cared for one another already and praying for each other and singing to and uh, to each other and to you and reminding each other of the hope of the gospel and the promise of the, the beauty of the resurrection and the heaven that is to come as we walk the miles of this Christian walk together. Father, I pray that as we come to this time where we read from your word and we uh, hear your word proclaimed, Lord, that you would teach us, that you would use your word to change us, that we might live in obedience to you. Father, give me the strength to preach and to teach what you would have me to, that these, your people, might be built up and edified. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning we're going to be back in our study of the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 2 uh, starting in verse 12 and we're going to go through the end of the chapter uh, through verse 29 as we look again at the issue of self-righteousness. If you remember so far in Romans chapter 1 and now in Romans chapter 2 we've dealt with two different ways that God's wrath is revealed against God the unrighteousness of humanity. The first way that God's wrath is revealed against humanity is that His wrath is revealed against the pagans who deny the truth of God and they take that truth that is revealed in nature and they exchange it for a lie. And the second way that God's wrath is revealed against this world is his wrath is revealed against the self-righteous. Paul uses the Jews particularly as sort of this placeholder for those who have the law, who have the truth of God's holiness revealed to them, but who deny that truth in the way that they actually fail to obey the law. So the Jews were... Lived self righteous lives, and and as a result of that, they store up wrath for the day of judgment. So, in our text this morning, Paul is going to continue his argument, much like what he did with the pagans, and how he. Uh, condemned the the darkness and the exchange that the pagans made for the knowledge of good uh, knowledge of God for a lie and then he expands on that in the ways that they have done that now paul is going to turn again to the self-righteous to the jew and he's going to show in very minute detail the ways in which the jew has used their own self-righteousness and, in a, and have dishonored God in doing that. And so Paul is going to continue this argument against the self-righteous by condemning the sin of cultural religion. Now, I think it's obvious by now, and, and many of you, it, as we've talked in Sunday school, and I know Brother Harold has mentioned this several times in, when he teaches in Sunday school, but some of you have already begun to recognize this or have recognized it for a long time, but we, it, it should be obvious by now that we live in a post-Christian culture, even here in the South. Now, the, the way that shows up in the South is far different than the way that it shows up in other parts of the country. It, so this past week, I, I had a sales trip that I made to Boise, Idaho. And I got the chance to walk around Boise in the freezing cold, but I walked around Boise. And Boise is a lovely city. I'd, I'd recommend visiting. It's a beautiful place, a very clean city, one of the cleanest cities I've ever been in. But uh, it's very beautifully set against the mountains, and so you're you're in your hotel right there on the plains, just outside of, uh, and the mountains are sort of overshadowing you. Very pure, pretty setting. Walked along the river there and, and saw ducks and all si- sorts of critters. and It was a beautiful setting. But one of the things that I noted as I was walking around is they had a wonderful restaurant scene. I ate at a really good restaurant. I enjoyed my time there eating. They had uh, nice architecture and a different, all sorts of different uh, buildings and, and the state capitol and all that. They had the river and, all, and a river walk and all that. It was uh, everything you could ask for in a city, but one of the things that was notably missing in this city that was clean and well organized and, and beautiful in many ways is I never saw a church. There were, You know how you go to Montgomery, Alabama or to Birmingham and you can't throw a rock and not hit a church. But there was not. A, I didn't see a, a, a church until I left and and went towards the airport. And outside of the city, there was a, a church building. But there was no church that had been there since the city's founding or anything like that. It was all other buildings that had nothing to do with Christianity. Well, in our area, that's not the case at all. You have churches that literally face each other on the, on the street corner uh, here. We still have churches on every corner and there are still parents and grandparents that faithfully go to church. There are still expectations of basic public morality. So you know, you don't use God's name in front of a curse word. You at least pretend like you you have plans to get married even while you live with your girlfriend and you make sure that your children get signed up for VBS in the summer. But I think it's safe to say, judging by the falling attendance in most churches in our county and state, that the majority of, quote, Christians in our community only view it as a cultural reference. They will stand for the prayer and the pledge at a baseball game. They'll have their weddings and funerals at the church. They'll attend an Easter or a Christmas service, though never both in the same year. And they will gladly show all due respect to a pastor. But they will not commit to weekly worship. They will not ensure that their children are raised in the admonition of the Lord. They will not give up their worldly concerns to follow Christ. And because of all of this, I say with every bit of confidence that cultural Christianity... And true, faithful Christianity are not the same thing at all. And I can say that with all confidence because of this very text that we have today. So let's read Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 29 together. Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 12, God's Word says... They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve of what is excellent, Because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and the truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you not steal? Do you steal? You who say... And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So this morning, I want you to see three points from the text that we've just read. One is, I want you to see the hearers versus the doers. Second, the the dishonor of law-keeping. And lastly, the distinction of true faith. So first, let's consider the contrast between hearers and doers in verse 12 through 16. So remember last week I explained the difference between true righteousness and self-righteousness. So self-righteousness is the pursuit of an outward appearance of morality and an attempt to obligate God into accepting you. True righteousness, on the other hand, is found in trusting in what Jesus Christ has done for you. And as a result of that, living in obedience to him out of gratitude for what he has done. Remember, I said last week that we are not saved by our works. We are saved to good works. We are not saved because we have done good things, but we have been saved so that we might be able to live the life that God calls us to. It is not because Jesus died that therefore we don't have to worry about doing good works or that God doesn't expect good works, but rather that we cannot do good works that matter to God outside of the power of the Holy Spirit in in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Paul now draws a distinction in verse 13 between those who hear the law and those who actually do it. It is not the hearers of the law, Paul says, who are righteous, but it is those who actually do the law who are, as he says, justified before God. So then Paul gives a scenario that would have shocked and angered the Jew. He says, he asks if a Gentile, now you can imagine someone who has never read the Bible, someone who has never gone to church, someone who would not be considered anywhere close to a Jew or to a Christian. If a Gentile just naturally does what the law requires, don't they show that they have the law written on their hearts? Now, Jesus Jesus himself makes this very point in the famous parable that we all know of the Good Samaritan from Luke chapter 10. Remember, a lawyer comes to Jesus and he, he tries to catch Jesus off guard by asking him, Now, who exactly is my neighbor? And to answer that question, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he says there was a man going down from Jerusalem who was walking along an old country road and some uh, robbers came upon him and they beat him and they stole his, his stuff and they left him for dead. And along comes a priest. Now in our day you might imagine a preacher or a pastor. Along comes this priest or this pastor who walks by and he avoids the man altogether. And then next along comes a Levite. And in our modern day, you might imagine a deacon, a good upstanding member of the church. Along comes this Levite, and he too avoids the man entirely. Then along comes a Samaritan. Now, a a Samaritan was of a race that was despised by the Jews Because they did not follow the law of Moses. And he comes by and he helps the man in a self-sacrificial way. Jesus' conclusion in Luke chapter 10 verse 36 is to ask this. Which of these three proved to be a neighbor to the man? The lawyer rightly answered, the one who showed mercy. You see, brothers and sisters, knowing Scripture is a good thing. And we should memorize Scripture, we should read Scripture, we should devote our lives to Scripture. But unless we are doing what Scripture says, we are hearers and not doers. Church attendance is a great thing, and I want you to hear... From me that you should devote your life and your effort to being here and to coming on church, to church every Sunday that you can. But if we are just attending out of duty without any love for God or for our brothers and sisters in Christ, then we are hearers and not doers. Right. So next, I want you to see the dishonor of law keeping law keeping from verses 17 through 24. So in these verses, Paul condemns the Jews because of their cultural pride in keeping the law. Paul points out that while they pride themselves for their religious observance, they fail to truly do what the law says. And notice in verses 21 through 23, Paul gives four ways that the Jews pridefully dishonored God by failing to keep his law. So first, Paul says that they dishonor God, but that while teaching others, they fail to teach themselves. So it was the expectation that every devout Jew, imagine this, Micah, every devout Jew, by the time they were 12, would have the first five books of the Bible memorized. Not parts of the first five books of the Bible, but all of of the first five books of the Bible memorized by the time that they were 12. The Jews were so devoted to the passing on of the Word of God, they took it so seriously that when a scribe was copying a portion of the Bible from one sheet of paper to another after he had finished using the quill that he used to copy that verse or that passage of the Bible, he would take that writing implement and he would burn it or destroy it so that it could not be used for any other lesser writing. They took the word of God so seriously. They took outward obedience so seriously, but yet they never took it to heart. Second, Paul says that though they preached against public sins like stealing, they at the same time set up systems in which they easily stole from other people. The the cause of Jesus' outrage in which he went into the temple and overturned tables was the fact that the temple leadership had established a scam in which they would allow people from outside of Jerusalem to come in and exchange money from other other parts of the world for temple money so that they could buy sacrifices to give in the temple and the scam was that they kept the same exchange rate even though certain certain pieces of money in other areas were worth more than the temple money and the exchange rate that they offered in the temple, they were scamming people, defrauding people, using the worship of God for that. The Jews had no problem condemning the poor and the outcast for their thievery, all while they defrauded those same people through their institutions of power. And third, though they condemned private sins like adultery, they also committed those same private sins. So many in the Jewish leadership thought that it was okay to dismiss your wife for any reason under the sun and marry someone else without any pretense or given reason. They thought you could just write a letter, literally a letter of divorce and say, I'm done with you, see you later, and they could go marry someone else. Yet in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, Jesus says, Whoever divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Two, the Jewish leaders thought that they could condemn others for adultery while harboring lustful desires for women in their own hearts. But Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, everyone who looks at a woman with a lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Right. And finally, though they condemned false worship and adultery, uh, uh, false worship and idolatry, the Jews used their own religion for personal gain. So to be a priest or a religious scholar in Jesus' day was to have the highest paying, most protected profession in all of society. No one could criticize you. Everyone had to obey you. And it was the perfect position for anyone who was looking to get rich. And many sought positions in religious leadership for just those reasons. So in verse 23, Paul says that these men who boast in the law are really dishonoring God in the ways that they break the law. By their outward law keeping, they were blaspheming God. Now just imagine that. In all of the pomp and circumstance of their obedience to the law, in the ways that they prayed very openly in the public square, And the ways that they gave in flashy ways, the clothes that they wore, the laws that they very publicly kept, and all of those things, the people that saw them do that would admire them for their holiness and their righteousness. And yet at the very same time, Paul says, they are actually, in what they are doing, they are blaspheming God. By their outward law keeping, they were dishonoring God. And it's the same thing, it's the same way today with those who are culturally religious. You may pride yourself in your knowledge of the Bible, and all the while your life on a day-to-day basis doesn't have anything to do with the Word of God. The Word of God doesn't have any bearing on the way that you live outside of this building and this day. You may despise the vagrant and the uh, illegal immigrant for breaking laws, all the while fudging on your taxes or lying to gain some government benefit. You may rail against homosexuality and the decay of our nation, all while casually consuming pornography. You may protest the remote uh, the removal of religious symbols from the public square and you may bemoan the fact that people are taking Christ out of Christmas all while you show half-hearted effort in your own personal commitment to church. These hypocritical acts may reveal that you only identify as a Christian because it is part of your culture not because you actually believe in Jesus Christ and want to follow him. If that's the case, you are not honoring God. You are blaspheming him. So finally, let's consider the distinction of true faith in verses 25 through 29. Remember that the Jews were set apart by God. And the physical sign of that election was the practice of circumcision. So by the time of Paul's writing, circumcision had become a badge of honor. The sign itself was proof that you were chosen by God regardless of the way you lived. But Paul challenges that idea by asking a simple question, or similar question to what he had asked in verse 14. If an uncircumcised Gentile keeps the law, hasn't he proven himself to be chosen by God even though he doesn't have the sign of circumcision? In in taking such pride in the physical sign, the Jews had missed the significance of what the sign means. So in Colossians chapter 2 verse 11 Paul says in Christ also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ In other words circumcision symbolized the removal of the flesh that God would do through Jesus Christ When we trust in Jesus Christ, God takes our sinful, corrupt heart, something that Paul often shortens to call the flesh, and he transforms it by the power of his spirit to desire the things of God. This is the circumcision that matters, regardless of what sign is on our bodies. In a similar way, many people today pride themselves on their baptism, They say, preacher, I was baptized in this church when I was 10, so how dare you say that I'm not a Christian because I haven't been back since. Baptism is an outward sign. Now certainly, it's supposed to be an outward sign of inward faith. But being baptized doesn't make you a Christian any more than wearing a pilot's cap makes you a pilot. The difference is a matter of the heart. Right. So Paul says in verse 29, a Jew is, not, is one, a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. Friend, you may have assumed that you were a Christian because your mama was. You may have assumed that you were a Christian because you were born in the Christian South. You may have assumed that you were a Christian because of all the major, major events of your life have happened in this church. But unless you have trusted in Jesus Christ and your heart has been changed by His Spirit to desire the things of Christ, then you are not a Christian. Right. Right. But you can be. Amen. And you can be through simple faith and repentance. Won't you trust in Jesus Christ today? Brothers and sisters, our obedience to Christ is to be motivated by a heart that is set on Him. If you are in Christ, then you have been given a heart to desire the things of God. Don't turn back again to cultural law keeping Thinking that your worth before God is tied up in your years of service or your standing in this church. Instead, live in obedience to Christ because He has made you a part of His family through His death and resurrection. Trust in that. Don't trust in what you have done and the the amount of work you have done or the things that you think are worthy before God. Don't trust in some outward sign or symbol. Uh, Although those things are important, they are not the true form. The true form is the changed heart and the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. That is the proof of your oneness and your union with Christ. And therefore, trust in Christ and the work that he has done and live in obedience to him out of gratitude for that gift that he has given you and live faithfully for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that teaches us to rely on the good gift of your grace in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that you, by your spirit, have changed our hearts to long for the obedience of faith, to seek to walk after you, and that we are not saved because we are included in one racial group or another. We're not saved because we have taken some son or another. We are not saved because we have been perfectly obedient to one code of conduct or another. We are saved because of what Jesus Christ has done and because we are included in him and because he has been perfectly obedient to the law of God. And so, Father, change us by your spirit. Cause us to yearn for your son calls us to yearn for obedience to him, not because of obligation, but because of love and gratitude for who he is and for what he's done. Lord, if there's anyone here who is not trusted in Jesus Christ, though they may be uh, even a member of this church, though they may have gone through all the outward appearances of Christianity and yet recognize that they have lived simply under the cultural obedience of this day in this this society, Lord, I pray that they would turn in true faith and repentance to you and walk in newness of life through uh, the work of your spirit in them. Father, bless us now as we respond to you. In Christ's name I pray, amen.